Welcome into episode six of the Briar Chat podcast. And as you may see behind us, the, the man on the wall back here, today's episode is going to be devoted to Sam Sneed on right around what would have been his 111th birthday as he was born May 27th, 1912. And when we started talking about a podcast to, to talk about Sam Sneed, there's no better person to talk about it than the man next to me, Robert Harris. Robert's the uh, former uh, golf professional here and ran the golf program here for years. Did a little bit of everything here at the Greenbrier. Did activities for a while, a little bit of everything. He's been retired for, how, how long have you been retired now? 18 months. 18 months, but it's, it's great to see Robert back and great to have him on here. I, I knew when we, we wanted to talk about Sam Snead, he was the right guy to get started because he spent a ton of time with Sam and then has a lot of great stories. So we'll, we'll jump right into that, Robert. I guess uh, we were talking about it just before we, we came on air here. I guess Sam started here at the Greenbrier in 1936, and the picture behind us I noticed is actually 1937. So that's about the that's the same time that he started here. But an incredible career he had here, and an incredible legacy he left behind here at the Greenbrier. He, he always used to say, "Who's been to the same company or the same job three times?" Right. Because World War II broke up that reign, and then he was hired back after the Dor Dorothy Draper renovation of the main building and then came back again in 1993 as in an emeritus capacity. Right. So I uh, will get into that because I know you had a lot to do with, with that, that final return that he made here. But um, let, let's start at the beginning. What, what was your first memory of Sam Snead? What, what, where did you first kind of learn about him? Well, I'm, I'm a Jacksonville, Florida native, and he was past his prime, but it was 1966. He was playing in the Jacksonville Open, the Greater Jacksonville Open. And I made my way out to the course to where he was, followed him for a few holes, and I can't recall who he was playing with, but he could hit this beautiful draw. And when he played back into the wind, it was a low draw that would run a good ways. And on the eighth hole at a course called Selva Marina out at Atlantic Beach, he hit this most beautiful shot from 180 yards right into the wind, a strong wind. And beautiful shot, and it rolled right through the green, right up against a palm tree. And the palm tree couldn't have been five feet off the putting surface. I thought he was going to chop that palm tree down with his wedge, but he, he chipped it against the palm tree, it bounced back toward the hole, and he sunk the putt for a par. Oh, wow. So then many years later, after I went to college and, and, and turned professional, I uh, was the uh, assistant pro at Glade Springs Resort outside of Beckley, and I got paired with Sam and a fellow named Ed Tutwiler, who was a famous West Virginia amateur, and Scotty Davis, who was the reigning uh, state amateur champion we played at williams country club in weirton and we're very nervous we're big galleries no no marshals so we're teeing off on the first hole and sam and ed tee off first they get in their golf cart and take off well the gallery goes right with them and so we waited a moment or two we're here <laughs> and we teed off hitting over people and we all parted the first hole we get to the second hole par one and two get to three it's a long par five and scott davis says you're the pro you need to tell him he's got to wait until we hit we're going to kill someone because we're nervous and we're just hitting the ball hard and so i, I teed off they'd already gone up the fairway i catch up to him i introduce myself I, i'm from jacksonville florida and i grew up on a golf course called brentwood and you won the uh, jacksonville open there and in, without a hesitation he says yeah i wanted it the other course the next year and sure enough <laughs> I know now he, he won that tournament in 1945. He won it at Brentwood Hyde Park Golf Club in Jacksonville, 1946. Oh, wow. And I'm like, whoa. He says, if y'all want to hit first, y'all need to take the tee. And I was <laughs> deflated. Well, it was a long par five uphill. 
and we had youth on our side, and we were up by the green and two, birdied the hole, and he and Ed both made par. So we had the tee the rest of the day. And that was when I first met Sam. I'm like, boy, what a hard competitor. He's not giving you anything. Right, no doubt. Well, what was uh, overall that, that whole round? What, what was that like? I mean, playing with a, with a legend like him. First of all, the sound of an iron shot was just that click. And every ball was 15 to 20 feet from the hole. I don't recall that he stiffed the shot that day, but n no shot was wayward. Every shot was right up there with a nice birdie putt. And every lag putt from 20 or 25 feet, and the course was somewhat hilly, so shots are up and down and sideways. So it wasn't easy to get in that 20-foot perimeter. But his lag putts would roll right over the lip of the cup. Mm -hmm. But it was all business. Right. You know, all those, you know, all the gallery. They never even knew two kids were playing with, <laughs> with these two legends. Right. Um, I guess you talk about his, his shots and his accuracy. And I know we, uh, we actually did a show for, what was that? Was that CBS we did that show for where you're talking about his swing and they, they ranked the top right. swings? And, uh, but what, what, I know you said it then, but what, what made his, uh, his swing so special? Well, he's, he, he was a musician. Uh, he was a track star. And he really, and he was double jointed and he had long arms, 35 inch sleeves on his uh, shirts. And he, he believed just the flow of the swing. And just because of his build and his, you know, uh, stature, he was never a quick release. He's not like a Gary player type, but he had that, it was all about the rhythm. Now, one year he won the Masters, and I don't know which of the three it was. I don't think it was the year that they were in the playoff with Hogan, but one of his fellow pros said, Sam, you're aiming 100 yards to the right. And well, Sam's thinking, this guy's trying to screw up my alignment. You know, he's trying to, sure enough, he lays a club down. He's aiming, a, he's, his stance has gotten real closed. Uh -huh. And he won the Masters that year. Wow. And, but he, he thought it was a deception to get him off. But he, he, he never forced a shot. And, and Mac O'Grady, a tour player in the 70s and 80s, who played both right-handed and left-handed, <laughs> amazingly, a Californian, did a presentation to the PGA Teaching Summit. Thousands, is out in San Francisco, thousands of club pros there, and he drew a grid, not, you know, three across, three up. It's about Nicholas, you know, a high fade, but he couldn't, he couldn't put a ball in these other quadrants very well. Trevino, low fades. Other players like Alani Watkins, a low hook. But Sam, is it only one player that's ever played the game could hit the ball in all nine sections and be effective, and that was Sam Snead. Right. So Sam, he never forced a shot. It was all about rhythm. Occasionally, the, the house band here at the Greenbrier was the Populaires. Right. And maybe the Sam Snead Festival, or it's called the Greenbrier Festival, was going on, Greenbrier Open, and he would come up and play with the band. And they would say, Sam, slow down. You're getting ahead of us. And he would turn and say, speed up. Right. <laughs> That'd be great. He had a great sense of timing. He was a good dancer as well. Absolutely. Well, when you talk about Snead, I think it's – you know, it's kind of the same with any sport. There's there's always somewhat of a recency bias that, that people, when they're talking about the greatest players to play any sport, they, they kind of forget some of the, the older guys and, and look towards more recent. But when you look at Snead's accomplishment and 82 career PGA Tour victories and, uh, you know, hole-in-one with every club in a bag and, and all of those different things he's accomplished, he has to be considered among the greatest to ever play the game, right? Absolutely. I mean, he has a record that will never be matched. 
I mean, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, really you could put those in the top tier. I don't think there's, there's no one else that I'm aware of that you could put in that same class. Right. But he, he loved it. He, he loved competing. He, he loved, uh, he worked hard. He taught himself, you know, he didn't have coaches. And uh, if he wasn't hitting the ball just the way he wanted, he went out to the range and worked it out. And, and that's another good point you, you bring up too, is how he loved to play and how long he loved to play and how competitive he was for such a long time. I mean, you look at, at some of the other greats, like we just, you mentioned Tiger Woods, you know, we're, we're seeing it now, Tiger Woods having, having trouble competing at the level that he's, he's used to competing at at his age, but Sam for a long, long time competed at a high level. He won the Greensboro Open when he was 52. And when he was, um, they're playing Oak Hill this week in Rochester. It was his next to the last U.S. Open, which he never won. But in the last round, he was 56 years old, 1968. He shot 68 in the last round. I mean, it's unheard of right. to, to finish ninth. Right. You know, past everybody when the scores were just at par or over par. He had a lot of longevity. And most of the players, uh, even a modern era, uh, attribute it to his rhythm and not forcing it. No injuries. You know, didn't have much in the way of injuries as you see a lot of players now with their wrists right. or the shoulder or their knees because the, the swings, the, the, many of the modern swings put so much stress on the body. Right, absolutely. Uh, Vijay Singh arranged for Sam to give him a lesson done at the Tournament Players Club at Sawgrass. And so I had the privilege of escorting Sam down there, and Vijay was very gracious. And this was, this was Tuesday of 1997, uh, three weeks before Tiger wins the Masters by 12 shots. And so... He's, he's there with VJ, hundreds, maybe even a thousand people around us, back a ways. And then Tom Kite comes up. So he gives Tom a lesson. And then a couple other pros came up. And I sort of gave him a you know, pecking order. And then Tiger walked by. And Tiger walked to the far end of the range. I mean, 100 yards, no one down there. And I said, Sam, when you're done, I'm going to walk down and watch this kid Tiger Woods hit the ball. Wherever we went at that age, when Sam was in his 80s, as soon as we would get there, it's like, when are we leaving? <laughs> and, and he says, well, I'll be down there too. So I walked down there. There was Butch Harmon, Tiger. Couldn't have been nicer. Butch, I said, I just want to stand and fluff the caddy. I said, I'll stand back, but Mr. Sneed's going to come down in a few minutes. Well, that kind of cooled things off because Butch Harmon was looking at me like, you need to get out of here. But anyway, Sam comes down. Tiger takes off his Nike cap. Sam autographs the underside of it. And Butch was working on his Tiger's wrist bow. Anyway, they had a nice cordial conversation for about five minutes. And then we, Sam stood back and, and let him practice. This was Tuesday of the Players' Championship. And then just really three weeks later, he wins the Masters. Oh, wow. So Sam was a big fan of Tiger's. When, when Tiger won the... Um, I think it was 1996 U.S. Amateur at Pumpkin, or 95 at Pumpkin Ridge in Oregon. It was on the TV down in the pro shop. And Sam, we brought Sam a bar stool from up in the restaurant here. And he sat and watched. And Tiger was maybe two holes down with just a few to play, or maybe three holes down with four or five to play. And he held a 90-foot putt from the back of the green. And the young man he's playing was right in front of the green. He's probably going to win the hole. Well, S Tiger swings this 
up and over downhill 90 footer and sam says you know in golf there's a lot that had to do with fate and that kid's got fate on his side right anyway that, that, that's interesting that you bring that up because you know obviously the the two are tied now for for career wins and you talk about sam's competitiveness would, would he be happy that tiger's tied with him or what would he be uh be not unhappy that somebody was was had the record with him well, he was a fan, but he'd probably say, I "Wish he'd taken better care of himself." Right, <laughs> for sure. Well, let's let's uh, let's. Well, before we actually jump into your relationship with Sam and, and how that kind of all started, yeah, I, I think we talked about his achievements a little while ago. But I don't think you can talk about Sam at the Greenbrier or talk about his achievements without mentioning the '59 uh, they shot on the, the Greenbrier course in 1959, and at the time, really never been done before, and, and such an amazing accomplishment in the game of golf. It, it was unheard of, and and if. Sam were here, he would tell you about the four or five putts he missed. Right. <laughs> I mean, short six-footers or, you know, eight-footers. So, yeah, it was, it was quite an accomplishment in 1959. No one it was, wasn't even discussed. If you bring that up, I know he shot a 60 on the old white, what was it, three or four times, and he, he three-putted 18 every time? Many times. Right. <laughs> it was a tough green to putt, number one. But, yeah, he, he might have. Um, Sam was, you know, he loved golf so much. We... We had a, a clinic set up for him one day at 1 o'clock. It was a big uh, New York brokerage firm. And unexpectedly, they didn't show up at 1. But they didn't show up till 4.30. And he hung around. Next, okay, here they all are. It was a, mer it, it was a merger going on. <laughs> and, and so here, he waits around till 4.30. Next, I can't find him. And so one of the caddies who were out, he said, I saw Sam go out with these guys. I took a car out there, and luckily they'd already played the whole, uh, he joined them, but here they are near the clubhouse over on number 11. Sam, you've got this clinic with such and such, you know. He says, yeah, but, and, they're, and they're paying you $10,000 for this exhibition. And he says, yeah, but I'm going to take $60 off these pigeons. <laughs> he, 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 he was just as happy to go take his old buddy's money for $60 a piece as to come back. Anyway, he came back, did the clinic, signed a hundred Greenbrier books and autographs and couldn't have been more gracious. Now, I mean, they, they go from the clinic to dinner and Sam, Sam comes over and his buddies are just finishing on the 18th hole. And he says, y'all owe me 60 a piece. No, Sam, you didn't finish the round. Well, no, that's not what we said. I was up, you know, and they, they argued. <laughs> that's great. So let's get into that, your relationship with Sam. As you mentioned, three times he came to the Green Bar. The final time, uh, it was kind of uh, your responsibility to get him here, right? It, I had, um, when, when I came here, I had two assignments in 1991. Get a golf academy started and bring Sam Snead back to the Green Bar. So the golf academy thing had to wait because at that time, golf carts had to cross a highway the way the golf courses, especially the Greenbrier course, was configured, and the Lakeside course, which is now the Meadows course. So we got diverted off that, put in two tunnels. So that project got underway pretty quickly. I went over to Hot Springs and played the Upper Cascades with Sam in September. And he, he was very nice, very gracious, but it was kind of like, how much are we playing for? <laughs> like, well, I only have $50 on me, Sam. <laughs> I just give it to you now. We can have fun. Right. He wouldn't have it. He, anyway, we had a great day. So when we finished, I said, Sam, 
you know, one of the reasons I'm over here today is to ask you to come back to the Greenbrier in an emeritus capacity. You know, we want to do, do something to memorialize your career. I don't know whether it's a museum or whatever. It turned out as a renovation of the golf club. And he had three people that he had pet peeves with. I mean, he left the Greenbrier after the 1973 season and did, did not come back in 1974. So here it is, 1991. And they had all passed away. They, they were executives with the railroad. And he says, okay, I'll do it. So that started, we shook hands, and that's how, that's how it started. And it, it evolved into, we're, you know, we're a, a resort, you know, we're hoteliers, we're resort operators, we're not museum keepers. And so this building, the golf club, overlooking the golf courses was millions spent renovating. This is sort of the house that Sam built. His, his life and times are right here. Absolutely, yeah, we're here today filming this at, at Sam Sneeds at the golf club, right next door, slamming Sammy's. Both are, are sort of tributes to Sam, a lot of his memorabilia. And there's there's some really impressive things, some trophies and uh, even a green jacket out there that you can, you can look at when you come here. And even, even down in the, uh, the locker room, some amazing pictures of Sam and his years here. So this really is a, an amazing tribute to him and, and the way it should be, because uh, he has such a legacy here at the Greenbrier. They have to have to have that honor in some way for sure. And he got the first green jacket, right? So yeah, it's here. That, yeah, it's that's, here. That's, that's that's pretty amazing. So, well, okay. So when, once you get him to come back, um, he's a, he's an emeritus to some people. You know that that might just be a title, but I know Sam was 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 pretty hands on, and he was out there. Uh, getting to know the guests and members and, and everybody here right away. He, he, he enjoyed being recognized mm -hmm. because at the time, in, in that period between the mid-70s and 91, the, the Legends of Golf started, which was sort of the precursor to the senior PGA Tour. And but all golf pros just, you know, they just sort of faded off in the background. And, of course, now we have the PGA Tour champions uh, in the back of the limelight. But... Sam, you know, didn't really get full credit for all that he accomplished. I mean, he was all those matches with Hogan and Nelson and, and, and you know, eight wins at Greensboro, six wins in Miami. I mean, uh, it, 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 he, he was like he lifted the spirit of everybody because even well into his 80s, I mean, he, he had a lot of vitality. I mean, he wasn't like, give me a chair to sit out on. Now, if he was signing autographs, yes, we'd get him a chair because he'd be his sign autographs. We went to Scotland one year in a little town called Ayr on the west coast of Scotland in the county of Ayrshire. And it was like a gymnasium. Well, we get there, there's 500 people there. So I had a whole box of Sharpies and we had some things printed, brought green bar scorecards. He signed autographs for two or three hours and Sam said, well, how many more people are coming? I went out and looked out the door. The line it went as far as I could see. I mean, he, he probably signed a couple thousand autographs because having Sam Sneed come to Scotland, you know. Right. But it was tiring. But, boy, it, it really made him feel important. And how people, I mean, children, I, I, I couldn't tell you how many photographs parents would actually put their children behind Sam, grade school children. And photograph after photograph. Well, you you made a couple notes here of, of some different talk, talking points we wanted to talk about, and uh, one that jumps out to me, and you won't be surprised, as you know, I'm a baseball guy, is the uh, the story here about Sam and Ted Williams. So, what can you tell us about that? So he he's at the Waldorf Astoria, getting an award, whether a Sportsman of the Year, Athlete of the Year, 
and the prior year winner was Ted Williams. So Ted gets up, he, he's charged with introducing Sam, and, and they used to do all these fishing shows and hunting shows together. So, so Ted riles up the crowd. How can you have a golfer be the athlete of the year? I mean, the ball sitting so pretty on a little tee, you got all this fairway to hit to and just, just wears him out. And so everybody's laughing, you know, no, no 95 mile an hour fastball, curveball, you know. Sam gets up. Thank you, Ted. Well, the thing about golf is we have to play our foul balls. You know, so he, in one little sentence, he got Ted right back. <laughs> that, that's great. And then th those two, I mean, there's there's no two bigger in in their games than those two for sure. It's, it's amazing to kind of hear about that. But um, Sam publicly, you know, a lot of people knew about his athleticism. A lot of people knew about how, how vivacious he was, those sort of things. What What maybe – when you got to know him really well and some of your travels with him, what maybe did people not know about Sam? What's something that... He was a very generous man. He was known for, you know, being tight. Right. Well, his theory was charity is not charity if you have to tell everybody. Right. You know, so he privately supported people that had illnesses or churches, you know, a new piano. and I mean, whatever the cause was, if, if he felt the genuine since for that family he was there but never never took credit for it right so yeah that's 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 a good point but he could he could some he could appraise someone by their meeting them like he would, would go down to florida in the winter shake hands with people and and maybe it's somebody from ohio or pennsylvania or new york oh my gosh i haven't played golf in six months and he would say yeah, where'd those calluses come from on your hands? <laughs> right. Very true. That's a great story. What you know, in in this whole list you put together, some so you've told a lot of great ones already. What what's your all-time favorite Sam Snead story? I've got a couple of them. I I don't know if I could put one, but it it was late in his career. I mean, nineteen this is nineteen ninety. He's not playing the tour anymore, but he goes to the Masters dinner, uh -huh. and Arnold Palmer comes up to him says, Sam, can you still kick the top of a door frame? That's that's all I want. And Sam, pow. He says, well, let's have a little fun with the guys tonight. So Arnold gets there. He says, Sam, you, you hang back, back in the pro shop, and I'll go to the – he says, guys, Sam Sneed's the best athletes ever played this game. Even, even at uh, his age, almost 80 years old, 78 years old, he can still kick the top of a door frame. And it, you know, all those in attendance, no way. So give me a hundred. I'll put up a hundred. And and so then Sam comes in. They got a few hundred dollars raised. And Sam puts on a little feign, you know, like, but then bam, kicks the top of the door frame, you know. And Arnold says, never bet a man at his own game. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but so he would have guests to his farm in Virginia and he would make bets that he could take a bass, four or five, big old four or five pound bass, out of the water, rub it, keep it out of the water for 20 seconds, put it back. They're like, Sam, you are so full of it, you know. You'd get there, you'd do it once. I said, well, we'd collect the money. <laughs> well, that was just luck. He just, you know, you rustled the water and he probably thinks he's being fed. They'd do it again. 
another round of bets would come on wagers. He pick up the fish. He had trained this fish, <laughs> lift it out of the water. <laughs> Never been a man at his own game. <laughs> yeah, but he loved that. He 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 loved the rigging competitions. And, and the other question I was going to ask you is: is being here in your capacity as running the the golf program here at the Greenbrier, after Sam is gone, how much did his legacy hear me? I, I remember being a kid and and knew little about golf and knew little about the Greenbrier, but watching Sam as his uh, capacity as honorary starter at the Masters, and he always had that Greenbrier sweater on. He's always rep representing the brand, and I think that 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 has carried on to today. Absolutely. I mean, this this is the house that Sam built and the golf club here at the Greenbrier, and. I mean, what a, what an honor for us that, uh, you know, all during his career, especially the 50s, the 40s, 50s, 60s, I mean, after the Second World War when he was in his prime, he was here frequently. I mean, this is where he would come for a week off, you know, practice, uh, you know, catch his breath. Um, and he owned the pro shop. He owned the carts. You know, he had rice to the balls in the creeks. You know, I mean, this is where he, this is where he made his living outside of playing as a tour pro. And it's, uh, yeah, his legacy's here forever. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, we appreciate you uh, le le lending us a little insight and uh, some wonderful stories. Anything we missed, any, anything you, you'd like to say about Sam before we wrap up here? I'll give one more story, one more quick story. So this is, this is probably about 1998 or 99. It, at the end of October, he would come give the locker room men three or four of them in there, give them all a nice tip and go in the pro shop, hug all the girls that worked in the pro shop. And he'd have his golf shoes and we'd have a driver for him. He'd go, he'd go home and then fly down to Florida the next day. Well, while he's doing that, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the stairs by the pro shop and a nice couple comes in and I, I introduce myself and we chat for a moment. They hand me this article. Famous golfer involved in plane crash. I'd never heard this story. Here I've got the, you know, whatever it was, 50 years ago today, sort of clipping. And so here comes Sam. He's ready to head. The driver's waiting for him. He's got his shoe bag. And he's all excited. He's now back to Florida. And Sam, this is Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And they just handed me this article that you were in a plane crash. Oh, set his shoes down. He starts telling this story as if it happened the day before. So the pros in his ear, especially the 40s, late 40s, 50s, a lot of their income came from doing exhibitions. They'd get $1,000 to come to, he was in Iowa, this was in Iowa. He came to a small course. He had always asked the pro who owned the course record. If the pro was still a younger man or a man that was still, his reputation was a great golfer, you'd never break the course record. And, but if the pro is getting up in years, you know, Sam, it doesn't matter now. I'm, you know, I'm near retirement age. Just go at it. And so he shoots his course record, and he's wanting to get back home, but he's got to get a flight to Des Moines, then a flight to Chicago, then he can get into Roanoke, Virginia. They put him in a crop duster. <laughs> but he's got a big, he's on the road, so he's got a big, heavy suitcase, big, heavy golf bag, and the pilot says, Sam, if we're not airborne by the time we hit this little boggy spot, it's a grass strip, I'm going to kill the engine, and we'll, we'll come back around and try it again. Maybe the wind will come up, we'll get more. Well, they bounced over the boggy spot and then sunk, went right through a barbed wire fence, 
right into a field of corn. Oh, wow. And Sam t t told this story. I put my hand on the bulkhead, one hand on the seatbelt, corn flying everywhere. And he's, he's animated, he's corn flying everywhere. <laughs> and the lady from Iowa puts her hand over her mouth and said, oh my gosh, Sam, I'll bet you had some choice words for that pilot. He said, I sure did. Well, what'd you say to him? And somebody would speak up. You, no, don't say it, Sam. <laughs> he said, no, ask him how much I owed him for the ride. <laughs> That's great. He had a sense of where he was. Right, absolutely. Well, Robert, we greatly, greatly appreciate you jumping on to tell us some of these stories. And uh, remember Sam Steed's legacy, uh, 111 years. It would have been his, his birthday this week. So a uh, great way to honor him. And uh, we'll continue to honor him here at the Greenbrier and at these two restaurants. We invite you to come visit them. If you haven't been here to Sam Sneeds or Slamming Sammy's or just the golf uh, clubhouse here at the Greenbrier, come visit, see some of this amazing memorabilia, learn more about his career and uh, the, the legacy that Sam Sneed leaves behind. We appreciate you joining us. We appreciate Robert being here. And Robert, we'll, we'll have a, a future episode. Look for it coming up. Just tell a little bit more about Robert's career at the Greenbrier. A lot of other amazing stories of, of, of what you accomplished here. So we look forward to talking to you then. If you, uh, if you can't, get on Facebook, get on YouTube, leave us some comments. Let us know what you think of the Briar Chat podcast. Let us know what you want to, want to see in the future, what more stories you want us to tell. Thanks for watching. We'll see you at the Greenbrier.